We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. There's been a burgeoning trend in recent years in which local farmers are finding more local markets. Consumers are demanding fresh produce, farmers' markets are popular and busy, and local restaurants are responding. That's the subject of our most recent Soundbites conversation. I sat down a few days ago with Heather Hughes, managing editor of Sauce Magazine, Rex Hale, who just opened Bakers and Hale, a farm-to-table restaurant, and David Bolin of Bolin Family Farms. He's a young, first-generation farmer. I asked Heather why farms and farming caught the magazine's eye. Well, first, we've heard such good things from chefs um, about the farms that we covered in the story, which is Bolin Family Farms, Such and Such, and uh, Buttonwood Farms. Um, so we've seen their names forever. They work with some really big names and come out with some really good stuff. But we were thinking about how difficult it is to break into the farming industry. And all of those three farms um, are sort of startups. Uh, being a startup in the farming industry is nothing like being a startup anywhere else. It's primarily uh, family-run places. So you're competing against people who have grown up in the industry. They've been taught by their parents and grandparents what to do, what to expect. Um, and you're just coming at it completely fresh. Uh, so every problem is a new problem. Especially these small farms, we're impressed that you can survive at all. Um, it's not an easy business. It's changed a lot in the past century. In uh, 1935, there were 600, like a little over 6 million um, farms in the U.S., and the average size was 155 acres. Um, now the average size is 444 acres, and there are just a tiny bit over 2 million farms in the U.S. So things have gotten much bigger and smaller at the same time. Uh, fewer farms that are much larger run by fewer people. Um, so coming in fresh and uh, not having a ton of money and a ton of equipment already, it's just like, how do you do that? So we were very impressed by these these people who just decided to. <laughs> it's a hard business. Um, and they, they seem to be doing well, and they're working with big names in the food community in St. Louis. Um, so we wanted to learn a little bit more about their personal stories. Well, David, you're one of those who's uh, just gotten into it as a as a very young man. Yeah. How hard was it for you? Um, I would say different aspects of it had different levels of difficulty. The farming aspect of it was difficult because of how much knowledge is involved in in the process of growing something, harvesting it, storing it, and then what most farmers don't have to deal with is marketing their product, you know. And so that side of it was difficult, getting it to a level where I felt, um, you know, confident in our product and in what knowledge that we had about our products and, and what we were doing. It was, a, it was a timely process. A lot of research had to be done. And so, I don't know, how hard? Very hard. It's very hard. <laughs> um, not impossible, but discouraging. Why did you decide to get into it? How big a place do you have, and what do you grow? I was trying to cut back on food costs, but I wasn't trying to necessarily buy cheaper food, you know. And so I was living in Ferguson at the time, 
and there was a, a building that had just been demolished in front of my house. And I called the landowner and asked him if I could use the property. And he told me as long as I managed it and kept it mowed so that he didn't get any tickets from the city, I could uh, use the land. And so uh, it started out just me growing stuff for my family, uh, my immediate family, so that we could cut back on food costs. And, it, you know, like, like a lot of projects of mine, it kind of got out of hand from there. <laughs> it grew. Yeah, it no did. pun intended. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It did. And as far as what we grow on those 20 acres, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of different stuff. But at this time of the year, it's a lot of sweet potatoes, fall squash, even some lingering summer crops like zucchinis and green beans, tomatoes even are still out there. It sounds pretty much like the kind of things you'd find on a farm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then some, some oddball stuff that you don't find on many farms as well. Such as? Oh, Chinese broccoli. Uh, we grow a lot of Italian heirloom vegetables, so like radicchio, which is a variety of chicory. Let me think of what other oddball stuff. Heirloom corn, which is mm-hmm. corn is a very common, commonly grown crop here. Heirloom corn is a rarity. It's not machine harvestable. Uh, the stalks can grow, you know, uh-huh. 16 feet tall, and the corn can be, you know, 10 as feet high as an elephant's eye. Exactly. <laughs> say. Rex, are you growing any Chinese broccoli these days? I'm not really a farmer. I'm a chef, <laughs> and uh, I love the stuff that I get from David and, and from such and such and a number of other farmers in the area. But to me, the, you know, it's really exciting to see the quality of product that's being brought to the restaurants here in the St. Louis area. It's, it's really pretty incredible. I've, I've worked all over the world and spent a lot of time in California, which most people think is the breadbasket of the world. And um, to see the amount of work that's required to do that in Missouri and to see the end result of the product to me is incredible. Do you find the farmers or do they find you? combination of both probably. David's one that actually ran into me and we've been together ever since. So, What role do the farmers markets play in all of this in terms of an opportunity to meet people that you might be able to develop a a different kind of relationship with? I think that is the, the key part that they play is building relationships with the community and being kind of a a source of information for the general public that does not usually see vegetables out, you know, outside of the state that they're usually seen in grocery stores. So usually people have not seen heads of broccoli that have the leaves on them or that have the long stem on them and don't know that you can eat different parts of the plant. And uh, I think that's the most important part of the farmer's market is kind of bridging the gap between um, farm life and city life and kind of letting folks understand what the different stages of these foods that they can be eaten at. You know, a lot of stuff we start harvesting when it's very small, mm-hmm. and, and people are always like, baby corn was one thing this mm-hmm. spring. Everybody was just like, well, we've never even seen corn this small. And there's many reasons. It's not the most time-effective thing to pick baby anything. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of farmers do what's time-effective, but it's not always what's the most taste-effective or tastes the best. So we tried to be a source of information for folks at the farmer's market um, so that they can, one, put a face to their food and, and two, understand what they're eating a little bit more. Rex, with your relationship with, uh, with farmers, 
I'm sure you utilize farmer's markets. I mean, it's kind of a one-stop shopping in one sense, I would guess, for someone like you. But in your relationship with uh, with farmers, can you kind of order what you want, saying, boy, next year I would like you to plant a little more of this because there's a big market for it? Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, that's probably what I do more than anything. And that's what's exciting because when you have people that are willing to listen to what what you would use if if they would grow it, and then then if it doesn't work next year, you don't plan to do it. It's yeah. pretty much the deal. But you got to be planning ahead like that. You I mean it's kind of a crapshoot, isn't it? Uh, something that may be in vogue this year, and you say, "Boy, I'll need more of that next year." Yeah, and then next year it's out of vogue. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I'm not a, the Vogue guy. I, I kind of like <laughs> to cook what I like to cook, yeah. and I kind of let the Vogue go to the Vogue way because yeah. <laughs> I think the reality is, if you cook from your heart and you serve food from your heart, the reality is it doesn't matter what the ingredients are as long as they're quality. That is the value of being a small farmer is that sort of custom ordering and that relationship where you can um, go to the same people every year and see what they're interested in. This is kind of on-the-job training, I gather, for you. I mean, you started in Ferguson, you say, and here you are now. You're kind of learning as you go along. Oh, of course. I'll probably keep learning until I die. Uh Yeah, it's a continuous learning process because all of the variables are ever-changing. You know, the weather never changes the same. Everything is different from year to year. What about the equipment? I mean, your place is not the biggest uh, the biggest place, but right. you still need equipment that turns out to be very expensive. Yes, and luckily, in our situation, I, I was blessed to be able to expand from my Ferguson property to a property in southern Missouri where the owner already had a lot of the equipment that we needed, which is minimal because most of the planting and the harvesting is done by hand. And so... Um, the few tractors that we did need to make our operation efficient, um, they were already in place. Rex, uh, getting back to this, staying with the equipment thing, some of the things I've read recently talk about you know satellite technology that uh, mm-hmm. you know you can you can oh, yeah. measure the moisture in the ground from satellites, and some of the equipment is ex- uh, terrifically expensive. What does that do to your costs? The biggest challenge is really not what the expense is, it's what the consumer values what the expense is, mm-hmm. is probably the biggest challenge because I don't think that a lot of, lot of consumers truly understand what the net, net expense is that you have to put good food on a plate. And there's a huge difference between serving quality food and ingredients that are inferior. Yeah, the people that fresh foods are more in demand now than perhaps they were. Yeah, not too awfully long ago. Well, and I think part of that is just better education about um, health and uh, what people should be eating. Fresh food's always been more expensive, but it's always been better for you. Um, I don't. I think the the cost, like Rex was saying, of producing something that's good isn't just using vegetables. It's using vegetables that are farmed um, sustainably and in ways that, uh, like. David was saying before is more for the uh, the flavor of the food itself and not pure efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, I mean, being a small farmer, you you have to think about so many things. It's not just efficiency. You're not just a business person. Mm-hmm. You're uh, you're working with the land, which is unpredictable, and you have to think of how people are going to use it. And it's it's 
really complicated. Um, and I'm always very impressed by people like David who uh, you get the sense is laid back enough to deal with that sort of uncertainty and in ways that are uh, creative and forward thinking. Really good problem solvers are good farmers. Yeah. And Rex, what are you seeing with regard to what people are demanding now of, of their food, <laughs> of their fresh food? Oh, I, I don't think that there's anyone that's not demanding fresh food at this mm-hmm. point. And I think it will continue to trend in that direction. And I think that the local farmers will continue to grow and their crops continue to improve because the reality is you cannot send food from miles away and have the same level of freshness. It's just not possible. And I think we're finally realizing that as as a country and as, as a culture. And so, you know, if you harvest something today and serve it today or you harvest something in the last two days, it's so much better than if it were harvested 10 days ago, put on a truck, shipped another seven days, it's already 17 days old, and mm-hmm. the, the quality of the food is just not as good. There's, it's yeah. not possible. Yeah. Well, that's music to your ears, David. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I also want to touch on uh, something that he was just speaking about and that you kind of touched on earlier is the, the trend of not just eating fresh food but eating specific vegetables and how you were talking about um, – the risk of growing vegetables that may not be popular um, the following year. And I think that that's a, a problem that plagues small farmers more than commercial farmers. But I would like to urge all farmers to, like Rex was saying, more grow what suits your interests because you're not the only one that, that likes the things that you like. Mm-hmm. And to also take the time to educate yourself on the vast world of vegetables that exist as opposed to um, what Food Network might say is a popular vegetable for the year. And so we, you know, we usually um, grow things that aren't necessarily trendy. And so at the farmer's market, you'll have a lot of people that walk up and they're like, do you have spinach? No, we don't have spinach. Do you have kale? No, we don't have kale. But that's because 10 other farmers grow the same thing. And so... um, there's also a risk in trying to, I mean, there's a risk in following the trend, and I believe that there's less ri- less risk in understanding that you are the producer, and you also have the power to build um, a demand for any given product that is not known, um, which the Chinese broccoli is one of those things that opened my eyes on another level to how much people may want something that they have no idea about. Sure. You can, it's your opportunity to introduce to the public things that they don't even know that they would like. Exactly. 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 We have to put a bottom line on this. And Rex, how about you? <laughs> bottom line that you want uh, people to take away from this conversation? I, I think bottom line is that, you know, <clears throat> buy from your farmers that are right here in, in Missouri, right here in your backyard, and communicate with them. Whether it's at the farmer's market or whether you're a chef, have dialogue with them let them know what you're interested in and bounce ideas off each other because I think it's very productive and I think that in the end we'll have a better food world right here in the St. Louis area if we'll do that. It is a collaboration. Absolutely. Definitely. David, final thought? I'd say to also continue on what Rex is saying. It's also make sure that you're investing your money and time and eating at restaurants that, that have that same concept of sourcing quality ingredients from local farmers 
as opposed to doing what's convenient. And people, Heather, are doing that. Yeah, it seems like it. I think, yeah. and being more willing to try something you've never tried before. So if, if the sugar snap peas don't work in your local climate, but there's lots of interesting greens that you've never heard of, you have to be willing to try them, and they're going to be better quality if they're coming from somebody like David. Thanks to Heather Hughes of Sauce Magazine, Rex Hale of Bakers and Hale, and David Bolin of Bolin Family Farms. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.